I say amen as well. Thank you so much. Church, for ministering to me, ministering to my soul as you sang the great songs of our faith with great enthusiasm and passion, like you mean it, like you believe it, you must believe it. Amen? All right. So this morning, I want to um, begin by sort of answering the question, what are we going to be doing in the next little while? Um, often we would ask that question, what are we going to be learning? But quite honestly, I think most of us in here have done lots of learning. It's time for us to do some doing with our learning. And so um, I'm going to talk about doing. And in particular, you know as the lead up to this, you've already seen that our series title is Learning Loyalty to the King. And um, we, we are going to be working from the framework, the great framework that we've established from God's Word uh, of those great statements, the great commandment, the great commission, the great plan, the great cause. You know, this is... This all works together, and um, the great commandment or, you know, is, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Christ gave the new commandment, whereby he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so love one another. He upgrades the kind of love we're to have for brothers and sisters, we're to we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, self-love toward our neighbors, but savior love toward one another. And then he gives us the great commission to go and, 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 and preach the gospel, go make disciples, baptizing them in the trifold name of our great God and, and teach them to obey whatsoever things or everything that I've commanded you. And then he puts before us, God puts before us a great plan whereby shepherd teachers will equip God's people for the works of service that we might grow up toward the great cause, which is everyone to be complete in Christ. And so um, in this great quest here at Calvary to, to upgrade our hearts, upgrade our souls, upgrade our, our, our spiritual uh, vibe here at Calvary, we are, we are embarking upon a journey uh, in the next n number of months called Learning Loyalty to the King. And um, discipleship is not so much based on what we know, although it is important to know the truth, as it is on how we are living that truth. Eugene Peterson said this, true wisdom is not gathering information. It is the adoration of God's revealed truth. Mike Breen, who is a church specialist from England, said this, we are a group of people addicted to and obsessed with the work of the kingdom with little or no idea how to be with the king. And uh, Sky Jethani said this, many church leaders unknowingly replace the transcendent vitality of a life with God for the ego satisfaction they derive from a life for God. Christ 
teaches us everywhere in his in, in the Gospels and, and certainly as the Holy Spirit led the, the writers of, of the New Testament, that our lives are to be um, lived out in relationship to Christ. We're to know him intimately. We're, we're, we're not a people who are simply a collection of facts and the gatherers of information, but actually are people in relationship with a real God. And, and so it, it becomes really important for us to, to make sure that we engage our hearts and our lives in, in moving from the passivity that many of us have become accustomed to in listening to the things of God and learning more about God into the action of living out what we know. And so we talk about loyalty. And by the way, I want to make sure that we understand that um, you can't... Um, you can't live out loyalty and, 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 and choose the behavior of loyalty in such a way as you move yourself into salvation. Salvation must come first, and then you choose to be loyal to the, to the Lord. So in the presentation that we are, are bringing to you in, called loyalty to, to the Lord, it's not an external behavior uh, 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 a new ethic that we're presenting that if you abide by certain uh, practices that you will somehow please God and move yourself into, into a state of salvation. The truth is that loyalty is what is chosen by those who are already in Christ. And, and so, in fact, um, Terry Muck writes this, the way we choose to behave does not determine who we are. That's humanism. That's moralism. Who we are determines how we behave. That's Christianity. And so loyalty doesn't make disciples. Disciples are already made by the Holy Spirit. It's just that disciples choose loyalty. So um, this series is, is not so much how to become loyal as what does loyalty really look like. If we were actually loyal to Christ, what would that truly look like? And we have chosen for this series uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew. Why choose the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew is really the Go Gospel, which actually has a, a thorough collection of commandments that loyal disciples learn to live. Uh, we need to understand that Matthew was a disciple. Maybe we don't know about much about him. Let me talk about Matthew for a few moments. Matthew was a disciple. Matthew was also called Levi. Possibly because he was from the tribe of, of Levi. He was, a, he was destined to be, a, or, or by his parents probably hoped that he would become a, a, a Levite. And, and uh, what a disappointment was theirs when he decided to be a tax gatherer. Um, most of you here don't really enjoy paying taxes. If you were to have lived at the time of Jesus, you would have loathed tax collectors, because tax collectors made a living on the basis of whatever commission they could get over and above the taxation that was required of Rome. So they would uh, use all of the savvy and deceitfulness that they could muster to try and beat money out of you so that they could keep some for themselves and give taxes to Rome. So needless to say, Matthew was a hated man. He was a disappointment to his parents, and he was hated by people. And um, he encountered one day Jesus Christ, who invited him to become a follower. And uh, 
when Matthew met Christ, everything changed in his life. In fact, we learn in the Gospels that they invited all of his old friends to a, to a party and to a, to a gathering called Levi's Table. And they came and they, and they uh, dined with him and he introduced Jesus to them. His life was completely turned upside down. We assume that he was about 70 years old when he recorded his memoirs of doing life with Jesus. It was likely 60 AD when Matthew was, the Gospel of Matthew was put forward in, in written form. And likely it was directed to the church at Antioch. And um, Matthew is, an, is a fascinating and an amazing Gospel. All of them are, are, are of course, have different facets of, of, uh, of the uh, Lord's uh, life here on earth. But the interesting thing I love about Matthew is he begins with this first salvo um, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. He, he leaves nothing to the imagination or, or leaves no, nothing, no lack of confidence when he just proclaims at the very beginning of his, uh, of his gospel, I'm talking to you about Jesus the Messiah. And then he names two names following that, David and Abraham. So he centers the whole of the gospel in the idea that the promise of salvation has come to Israel uh, by representation of the name David. And, and that the promise of salvation has come to the nations by the representation of the name Abraham. And so he begins this gospel in a fascinating way that causes us to want to leap in and say, tell us more, Matthew. Tell us about Jesus the Messiah. Tell us about the promise of salvation. And early in the presentation that he gives to us here, he, he, he shows us that the Old Testament promises are fulfilled by Christ, are fulfilled in the New Testament. I love this about the Gospel of Matthew as well, that he sets the church prominently in place as the new community of God's people. And, and he proclaims and reminds us of the teachings of Christ who said, uh, come unto me all you who are weary and, and burdened and I will give you rest. And, and um, in the great teachings of the ecclesia, or the called out church, in the Gospel of Matthew, he presents three um, main groups of people. He presents the antagonists, who are the Jewish leaders. Uh, he presents the crowd, who are prospects for the Gospel. And then he presents disciples, who Jesus came to make. And um, interestingly here, in terms of outlining the idea of the, the Gospel of Matthew, there are basically five major themes that Matthew wants to present to his audience. And of course, the other Gospels pick up other themes. It's not exhaustive by any means in, in terms of, of, of the whole of Christ's ministry. But Matthew picks up five major themes or five major sermons that Jesus presented that, that, that he says, I, basically in his memoirs, he says, I, I want you to know what it was like to do life with Jesus. And I want to present to you these five major uh, fo fo foci and themes that I learned uh, in my days as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he sets that forth for us. And I thought that might be a great way for us to introduce uh, the Gospel of Matthew that we will dive into in smaller segments. I just take a sweeping look at the whole Gospel with you this morning in terms of these five major themes, five major presentations that Christ made to outline the kind of discipleship um, 
those loyal to him would embrace. Uh, these are the values that, that those who are, uh, are, are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ hold close to their hearts. These are the values that Jesus teaches us. These uh, come under the, the rubric or the theme of the commandments that Christ wants us to obey and teaches us. And um, so why did we choose Matthew? Well, Matthew is the most complete uh, of, of all of Jesus' teachings. And the purpose of his gospel, I really am convinced, is to provide a thorough collection of the commandments. As he says at the very end of his book, uh, you know, gives the great commandment and it says, Jesus commands us to, to, to uh, teach each other to obey the commandments of Christ. So Matthew says, I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm going to tell you what that looks like. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, um, would you please open them to, to Matthew chapter 5 as we begin this great journey. Uh, Father, I, I pray that you would help us this morning. Uh, help us to uh, really grasp what it means to be a kingdom citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, as we embark upon this great series together, that we would not uh, approach this with some sort of intellectual fascination. Oh God, I pray that we would allow uh, our learning and our, uh, our, our, our refresh, refreshed vision of Christ to drive its roots deep within our hearts and move from our hearts out to our hands that we might live out uh, loyalty to Christ. Father, um, we can know a lot about a person but not necessarily be loyal to them. And so, Father, I pray that we here at Calvary Baptist Church would be loyal to our King in every capacity of our lives. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins with this first theme, with this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In first, the first verse, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Specifically, he's teaching disciples. He's teaching us. This, Matthew says, is what I learned as I lived in a discipling community with Jesus Christ, and I pass it on to you. From the inside to the outside, disciples will be empowered to live out the right ways of Jesus' kingdom. Matthew says, I learned what it was like. I learned what it would be like to be a citizen in a new kingdom, in a different kingdom. A kingdom within the greater kingdom that I lived in, or the greater culture that I lived in. I learned what it was like as Jesus sat us down and taught us and showed us by his own um, behavior what it meant to be a citizen in his kingdom, life in Jesus' kingdom. He, he, he taught us that, that um, doing good uh, must, um, must give way to being good. In uh, verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, you'll notice there that Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees weren't constantly doing bad things. The, constant, the, the Pharisees were attempting to um, live out the law as they somehow understood it, but they were attempting to live it out from an external, self-determined way. 
And so Jesus was making the point that in his kingdom, being a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus would mean that it would come from the inside out. That the righteousness, the right ways that you would live would not be based on external self-determined behavior, but rather from the internal drive of the Holy Spirit himself. And that's what it would be to be a citizen. And that regularly... Uh, you will be called to live a countercultural, countercultural values and behaviors to the to the to the kingdom you live in or the culture that you live in. In verses 21 through 47, he, he talks, he leads off, Jesus leads off his teaching with, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, and then he goes on to teach them things, but he says, I said, you have heard long ago that it, it was said, uh, do not murder, and and, and of course, of course, that's the law, that's the truth. But I say that you should not be proud of yourself because you have not ex in some way externally gone and murdered someone if your heart is full of hatred. Because a citizen in the kingdom of heaven will from the heart inside be prevented from external wickedness and sinfulness. So your first loyalty is to be the values of the king you are really loyal toward. He, teach, he teaches in this great uh, thematic uh, first point that regardless of political or cultural surroundings, disciples are held to kingdom ethics. They're held to kingdom religion. They're held to kingdom marriages. They're held to kingdom emotions. They're held to kingdom economics. Regardless of what culture you live in, and regardless of what time you live in, the values that are taught from Christ, the values that he, that he places in, into our heart are to be lived out in whatever culture we find ourselves in. Jesus, of course, in his day was invited to downgrade the value of marriage. And you know that, he, that the first thing he said when they attempted to downgrade the value of marriage was, this is not how it was in the beginning. The values that God has established in our, in our marriages, in our emotions, in our economics, in our relationships and behavior one for the other is transcultural. Regardless of the pressure that the culture places upon us, we don't downgrade the values of our kingdom. Matthew says, I learned this. I learned to be perfect. The very end of the chapter, chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I learned what it meant, Matthew says, to be set apart, to fulfill the purpose for which God had called me. And it wasn't to be a tax gatherer. It wasn't to cheat people. It was that my life might be changed. I learned that those who follow Christ are the salt of the earth. I learned that, that we're the light of the world. I learned that, that we're the only hope of the world. That by being placed as a culture within cultures, we bring the message of hope to others. We are the Jesus culture. Not the musical group. But we are the Jesus culture. The only hope of the world. The culture of hope for the world. This I learned as I walked with Christ. But secondly, in, in chapter 10, he learned this. 
that those loyal to Jesus will be mission driven. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them a mission, authority to drive out evil spirits, verse 1, and to heal every disease and sickness. In verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and then he gives the instructions down through chapter 10. Those loyal to Jesus will be on mission. Christ is not some sort of ornament to place on a shelf and, and, and a Bible to be put up and, and looked at. Last week, well actually this week I guess, um, our missionaries who remain nameless because we're on internet right now took us to a Sikh temple. And I'd never been to a Sikh temple before. And inside a Sikh temple, they circle around the book. They venerate a book. They venerate writings. The book that they put in, in air condition and climate control every night and then take it back out. And then they come and they venerate this book. We are sent on a mission. We don't venerate a god on a shelf or an idol. We don't venerate a book. We serve a God on mission. Jesus Christ represents the heart of God on mission. Whether in private or public, we are taught, and, and Matthew teaches us, that, that the more engaged in mission we are, the more like Christ we become. And the scent... And, and those who are sent to bring the message, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and those who receive it or respond to it are favored by God. Jesus commissions each of his disciples to be engaged in mission, to proclaim and live out the gospel, the good news of rescue from sin and kingdom citizenship forever. And then he learns this great message that we are not to be afraid because the Holy Spirit provides us the power and guidance we need while on mission. God the Father is sovereign over all things and in control and, and, and watches over us. And, and Matthew learned that, that Christ goes with us on mission. The great promise at the end, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. So those loyal to Jesus will be mission driven and it is effective. Because Jesus is in it. There's a third reality, a third theme that Matthew notes, in, and it begins in chapter 13. Verse 1 to 3, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. We learn... Um, from Matthew's time with Jesus, that although the gospel is powerful and life-changing, for now the kingdom is mostly hidden and influentially anything but dominant on the world stage. And Jesus teaches in parables. And the question is asked, why parables? Why would Jesus teach in parables? And you'll note in verse 13 that question is asked. This is why I speak to them in parables, Jesus said. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. 
You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Parables were Christ's test to see whether the message was taking root and producing fruit in the hearts of his audience. Jesus makes this very clear that he spoke in parables and those who were willing to open their eyes and open their ears and allowed their hearts to be softened understood what he was saying. But those who insisted on shutting their eyes and closing their ears and, causing, and continuing to have stony hearts would not respond to the message. And Christ always tests our obedience, tests whether we're, or not the, the, the message of the gospel is taking root and producing fruit in our lives. The loyal realize that true Christianity is not the popular thing or the in thing it's found by few, but precious to those who really have it. That's what Jesus taught. The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus made it abundantly clear that unless God himself opened up blind eyes and opened up deaf ears and caused stony hearts to soften, it was impossible for people to respond to the message. But when they did and when they responded to the message and when their eyes were opened and their ears were opened and their hearts were softened and they understood the value of the gospel, they were willing to sell anything that they had that they might have it. Such a treasure. And when God's people value the gospel the way that the discipling community that Matthew was in valued the gospel, those who find the message hidden or obscure are suddenly brought to an awareness of the truth. Our living out the gospel as valuable to us, as a treasure, as a, as a valued possession, becomes a revelation of Jesus Christ to those whose hearts are hardened, whose eyes are shut, whose ears are stopped. Loyal disciples, kingdom citizens, are changed from the inside and will be different. But he shows us here that not until the end will conclusive separation be revealed. There's a fourth emphasis. It's in chapter 18. It's a powerful emphasis. The first six verses, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And then he talks about the very practical nature of the relationship between those in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus' disciples prove loyal to the degree they are community-based people connected to his body. Jesus' prescribed kind of loyalty would be primarily lived out in devotion to his new community. It's interesting, you know, a couple of chapters before, Jesus asked the question of his disciples, who do you think I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus looked at him and said, you did not learn this from man. You learned this from the Father in heaven. What's interesting is when Peter identified Jesus as Messiah, the very first teachings out of his mouth after that were this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The huge focus of Christ's ministry was to present the gospel of, the, the gospel of salvation and the new community of faith, his body the body of, of Christ here on earth. And so this major theme leaps out at us here in chapter 18, that, God, that Jesus' disciples, those who walk with Christ, will be community-based people. There are no independents in the, in, the, in the discipleship of Jesus Christ. You are the Messiah. Discipleship to Jesus is expressed through, through, through the church itself, the new community kingdom customs toward one another. And it's articulated here in this very chapter, such themes as, as God's people, God's new people of faith uh, are being formed and characterized by humility to one another, responsibility, purity, accountability, discipline, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. Humility, verse 3. Responsibility, verse 6 to 7. Purity, verses 8 to 9. Accountability, verses 10 to 14. Discipline, verses 15 to 20. Forgiveness, verses 21 to 35. Reconciliation, verse 15. And, and restoration. All contained within this chapter. These will be the characteristics of the new community. This is how we'll respond to one another. Lynn and I... Uh, visited a Hindu temple, the temple to Kali, the goddess Kali. And um, two days later, we were uh, uh, worshiping together with the people of, of Calcutta Christian Fellowship, our good friend Ashok's church. The contrast couldn't be more stark. In the, in the Kali temple, uh, the people are in confusion and disorientation and they don't know each other and they're pushing and they're shoving and they're seeking in this cold, stark, uh, heartless, um, um, uh, vacant 
empty gathering that is, 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 feels so wicked, seeking to appease their goddess who adorns her neck with decapitated heads. Over against the church, Calcutta Christian Fellowship, where we witnessed humility and kindness and love and purpose and meaning and reconciliation and forgiveness and accountability and discipline. This is the community of Christ. This is the community that we're part of. This is what makes us different from all the others. A goddess whose necklace has decapitated heads versus a savior and a community that brings love and life. These distinctive values should be evident to outsiders. Whether they embrace Christ or reject him, they should be able to look at our community and say, I'm not sure I'm really interested in your God. I don't really know much about your Christ. But I'm really drawn to your social contracts with one another. And in so doing, the gospel may become part of their lives as well. There's a final in this whole journey of loyalty to the king. Is it worth it all? In chapter 24 and 25, Matthew tells us that loyalty will be rewarded as the hopeful sojourners reach a fully realized eternal kingdom. Uh, this kingdom we're in now is real. But it's not yet the eternal kingdom that we are moving toward. And, and Matthew tells us that, that in this journey with Christ, doing life with Christ, he, 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 he told us that he'd be coming again. He told us that he'd be coming with victory. He, he taught us that, that victory forever is a done deal and it's scheduled and it's recorded and that the loyal life is, is one that has a long gaze in every circumstance. He taught us that every trial is temporary, every struggle will end, and that all we hoped for is coming and more. When, when I was with Jesus, Matthew says, I learned that, that I should live every day, once Christ has, has ascended and gone, to have, I, I should live every day as if Christ will return. But, but I should also live every day as if, if it will be the first day of a very long, long time between his coming. And, and so he said, the great value that I learned is to be prepared and to be ready. And, and, and the parables of the, uh, of the preparation here, to live prepared to leave or to stay, whichever. It was all up to God. And so loyalty will be rewarded. And he gives this great presentation of the day of Christ when he will return for all of us. And so what do we do about all of this? We prepare you that you might be complete not just to learn information about the Lord and, and then to pass some sort of quiz, pop quizzes with each other about your theology. 
Loyalty to Jesus isn't the ability to, to answer the truth questions in a climate-controlled exam room. It's being like Jesus when everything around you is caving in. That's what it means to become complete in Christ. That's what we long to present to you. That's what I long for in my heart. For change to happen in our lives, the Word of God must be applied. That's why Jesus didn't say just teach them the commandments. He said teach them to obey the commandments. So, I ask these questions of myself and I ask them of you. Who is checking on your heart? Who's showing you the way? Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Who's challenging your heart? Where's the iron that's sharpening the iron of your soul? In what setting are you involved in making disciples? For change to happen, God's word must be applied. So, we began a great journey together last fall of upgrading the responsibility we have to be a disciple-making community of faith. And we believe wholeheartedly on the journey and to continue the journey. And so this coming term, we are going to be dealing with the book of Matthew, learning loyalty to the king. And we found a really great resource that's a companion to what we're going to be doing on Sunday mornings. And I'm really excited about this. this these little books, $8, they're available to us right after the service. They have the whole Gospel of Matthew. They have study notes. They have charts and various commentary. And they have an excellent series uh, of lessons at the very back. Lessons that, that uh, I'm going to key on each Sunday morning for the next several months. And the neat thing about this is what we're inviting you to do is, is, is study all week what I'm going to bring as the theme on the, on the coming Sunday. So we will be more prepared than ever in term, in, and ready to respond to God's teaching. And, and then we're going to gather on Sunday nights in discipling communities and, and, and sharpen each other and challenge each other. Just like Matthew teaches about accountability and discipline and forgiveness and making sure that we're, we're characterized as the new community of faith. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to encourage you all to be part of this. Our, our young people, our young adults, our, our whole church family. Imagine a, a whole mass church family like this. All in one direction. All in one journey. All seeking to seriously upgrade their hearts. Upgrade their, their lives and upgrade their love for Christ. Upgrade their loyalty to the king. Uh, just imagine what God has in store for us. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, I, you know, listen, we are not trying in any possible way, uh, shape, or form to try and ram some sort of methodology down your throat at all. 
this is, this is a desire on our pastoral, from our pastoral staff leadership to really take responsibility for all of our hearts and invite you to take a, a step past what you might have been doing all along and take responsibility for your heart and take responsibility for being a disciple-making person because that's what we've been commanded to do. We want to live like Jesus has asked us to live. And so I hope that you will take this to, to really to heart and pray about it. And you, you, you need to make a decision today and get going on this because Monday you need to start working on this stuff for next Sunday. That's tomorrow. You got to start tomorrow and discipline yourself. This will stretch you. This is great, great stuff. And we're going to have a really amazing time journeying with Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I thank you and I pray over this whole idea you've put in our hearts to really press together uh, to uh, sharpen each other, to, to really live in community and, and do life together in a way that we haven't before. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for this term that we've just passed. We realize that um, in the area of discipleship, disciple-making, we, we were falling pretty far short, all of us, either in discipling or in being discipled. Well, Father, you've set before us an opportunity to, to make some dramatic changes in that. And it's been good. And Lord, we just believe that you uh, have more for us and that you want to take us into the depths of your heart in ways that we've never been before and then see, Lord God, what you'll do with us. So I pray that you would uh, really fire us up. This is not uh, salesmanship or promotion for this can't be done by human, uh, human uh, persuasion. This must come from the Holy Spirit. So God, we ask you to take your people and move their hearts in the direction you want for them. In Jesus' name. It'd be cool if Jesus were to come and be among us and to show us how to, to actually engage in discipleship communities. Wouldn't that be cool, discipling communities? Hey, wait a second. That's exactly what we have. Matthew is telling us, I'm giving you the outline. I'm giving you, I hung out with Jesus for three years. I was in a discipling community with him. He led us. He discipled us. We discipled each other. This is what we did. This is, this is the discipling community. So there it is. Matthew, the gospel. What they did back then. I was with Jesus, Matthew said. I was in a discipling community of 13. And this is how we did it. In your bulletin, there's an insert that gives lots of instructions about our discipling communities. I hope that you'll get involved in one of them. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for showing us and teaching us and leading us and loving us and, oh God, I pray that our loyalty to you will be complete. For Jesus' sake, amen.